Today's episode is brought to you by Slay House Publishing, recorded at Wayne Howard Studios. Welcome back to another episode of Slay House Presents. I'm your host, Trevor. With me today is a very special guest. I have Casey Griffin. She is an award-winning writer based in Southern California who writes internationally published horror, fantasy, science fiction, and weird West stories. She is a published short story writer with dozens of stories appearing in podcasts, anthologies, and magazines, including Spaceways Magazine, Unnerving Magazine, Cosmic Horror Monthly, Dark Matter Magazine, the British Sci-Fi Association's Fission Magazine, Tales to Terrify, the Lovecraft Ezine, Musings of the Muse, Dancing in the Shadows, a tribute to Anne Rice, Field Notes from a Nightmare, Tales of Slayhouse 2022, The One That Got Away, Six Guns Straight from Hell, Shadowy Natures, Beyond the Infinite, Tales from the Outer Reaches, the Stoker-nominated Chromophobia, the Stoker-nominated Frightmare, Women Write Horror, and many others. She also co-founded the San Diego chapter of the Horror Writers Association in 2016. Her debut supernatural Western novel, Melinda West, Monster Gunslinger, uh, described as a blend of Bonnie and Clyde meet the Witcher and Supernatural, has received positive reviews internationally. Readers and reviewers call the book a fun, fast-paced, monster-filled joyride, genre-blending, a story that is fascinating and irresistible, and a massive crowd-pleaser. Welcome to the show, Casey Griffin. Thanks for having me. Thank, thank you for the intro also. Yeah, um, it's it's quite an excellent intro. I love all of the stuff that um, you've been able to publish. Um, and and I did not know that you had also founded the Horror Writers Association chapter in San Diego. Um, so tell us a little bit about kind of your journey as a writer. Um, when did you kind of start writing? And, um, you know, kind of how has how do you think you've evolved as a writer leading up to this debut novel? Yeah, so I think like um, probably many writers, I started creating stories at a very young age, like pretty much as soon as I could write. And I always enjoyed sci-fi, fantasy, horror. Um, I wrote a lot of fan fiction as a kid before I think it was even called that, uh, especially around X-Files and X-Men. Oh, um, yeah. Frankenstein. I wrote so many stories about the characters in Frankenstein. Um, <laughs> and then started writing my own books as a kid, all unpublished, but it was, you know, good practice, obviously. Um, aliens, clones, kind of all that. And mm. then I had a multi-year writing block once I went to college. And I think it was just from having a very kind of chaotic lifestyle at the time, trying mm. to figure out my career and relationships. I had a really hard time writing and just sitting down and kind of getting that peace of mind. And then once I kind of established my um, day job, so to speak, which is in nonfiction communications, and kind of settled down in a relationship. I kind of, my mind settled a bit and I started writing mm. more seriously. Um, 
that cold turkey. So I started with short stories, kind of exploring some of the characters and those novel ideas. And I really enjoyed short stories. It's such an art form onto itself. Um, and then I started getting those published and it was a really great way to connect with other writers and publishers, mm. kind of understand the landscape a little more. Um, and then once I had my first kid, I have two small children, um, something about becoming a parent, like, I don't know, made me panic in terms of like my <laughs> time. So suddenly I started writing much more, which is kind of counterintuitive, right? But mm. something about having restricted time and maybe like a sense of my own mortality, I just kind of <laughs> dove and started writing way more. Um, and then once the pandemic hit, I needed some sort of just total escape. And that's when I dove into writing Melinda West Monster Gunslinger, which mm. I had already written a lot of short stories based on those characters. Um, so the novel was like the next step, I guess. Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, that's that's kind of how it came to be. Now, were, were some of those characters, had they already been published before or... Mm -hmm. um, Oh, that's that's really, really interesting. One of the things that I really loved about um, Melinda West was that I I felt as though as I was reading the book, you know, I was introduced to these characters and I was like, there's definitely more out there that these, you know, like it, it seems like these characters come in and it's like, that is a strong enough character, even though they're a secondary character. I could totally see them in a spinoff, you know, like I, I I, could totally see this world just kind of fanning out with all mm. of these many different characters. Um, and I felt like that was a real credit to your understanding of them. You know, they come in without a whole lot of exposition. They're just dropped in there. And you're like, wow, these are really interesting folks in kind of that pulp fashion. Uh-huh. That's great to hear because that was definitely part of the writing process. You know, you have to cut out a lot of extra characters and scenes and whatnot. So for a lot of the characters, you know, I had these kind of backstories in mind and I thought, let me just save that for a short story or a novella. Um, mm -hmm. And some of them actually have their own kind of short stories already out there that have been published or are um, going to be published this year. So I think that's also um, <clears throat> something I recommend to other writers if they're inclined is to try, you know, short stories to supplement your novels because it can be a really fun way to explore your side characters mm. and to kind of build up that world and that um, just that backstory, right? Yeah, I I totally agree with you. And in fact, I actually know um, one of the, the local authors here, um, Marina Lostetter, I'm a, a big fan of her work. Um, but as we were interviewing with her, um, you know, she said that she was actually a short story writer before she became, became you know, a, a novelist. And, and some of her novels, as a matter of fact, are kind of a collection of short fiction or short pieces of fiction that, you know, she, she kind of built a through line through. Um, and one of her books, her, her fantasy debut, um, was kind of built out of a, a short piece of fiction you know mm -hmm. she, she had published this piece called um i think it was master belladino's mask and then that became the helm of midnight so i i think you're right you know um i, I like trying your hand at, at short fiction and exploring these ideas and then kind of making that transition is probably more natural for a lot of writers 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially if the novel, you know, feels kind of overwhelming and too much. Uh, if you're starting out, especially the short stories can be a really nice way into it. And I was at a talk um, with Stephen Graham Jones, and I believe he mm. was the one who was saying that he kept trying to write like a novella or a short story, and it kept expanding into like a novel or a longer piece. So that's also pretty common and, and just another reason to try try your hand at short stories. Yeah. So Melinda West, Monster Gunslinger, is um, it's a very pulpy book. It's It has a lot of adventure. Um, I wanted to to kind of pick your brain a little bit about some of the influences um, that kind of led you into, you know, writing this particular novel. You know, what were some of the things that that, you know, just kind of kept recurring to you or coming back to to, you know, encourage you to write this book? Yeah, it's um kind of funny because I didn't come to it from like an extreme passion of Westerns to start off. You know, I wasn't that into Westerns growing up necessarily. It wasn't until I started playing this uh, card game called Doomtown, which is like <laughs> the Deadlands universe where you have, you know, I don't know, evil circus creatures and gunslingers and outlaws and kind of all these fun characters. Uh, that sort of opened my eyes to the Weird West. And I actually wrote some official stories for the cards. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, that was really fun. Uh, I met a great community here in Southern California. We played competitively. Um, and that is kind of where I started thinking, well, what would my own kind of weird West world look like? Mm. What would those characters look like? And that was the genesis for Melinda West and, and her crew. And I think in terms of writing it, I really wanted it to be kind of escapist, fun adventure was my first mm. goal. And like I mentioned, part of it was a reaction to the pandemic. And just, you know, I wanted to stay away from anything that was very heavy and depressing. Um, but at the same time, I wanted there to be kind of high stakes and urgency. Mm. So that's why I sometimes compare it to a show like, um, you know, Supernatural or Buffy, where yeah. it's fun to watch, right? You're on an adventure with these characters and there are serious moments, you know, very intense moments, but also a lot of humor and you're just kind of along for the ride. Mm -hmm. That was kind of my guiding light in creating it. And I, I never wanted to feel bored or to have the reader kind of feel like they're sitting waiting for something to happen. So on its surface, it's very straightforward. It's, you know, monsters, adventure. Um, but then a little more to that also is I wanted a Western where women characters were a little more represented mm. um, in terms of, you know, let them be kind of proactive characters rather than just the love interest or usually a brothel worker for whatever reason is the female <laughs> character in most Westerns, like all the time. Um, so I just wanted it. I figured it's my, you know, made up Western. So I'm going to do what I want and I'm going to make sure women are 50%, you know, represented mm. and they're going to be sheriffs and lawmakers and it's not going to be like a weird thing. It's just the way it is. Um, so that to me was really fun also. Yeah. I, I absolutely loved, um, the the elements of of you know like one of the major villains is a woman and uh the heroine of course uh the main character is a, is a woman um she runs into a couple of other um i i don't know that i would would you would you call them uh other kind of monster hunters or just bounty hunters uh, bounty hunters yeah because yeah yeah. The, yeah the other band of, of bounty hunters that 
she runs into, you know, one of them's uh, a woman and she's clearly kind of the brains of the operation. Um, And I found that to be really refreshing. Um, You know, just, just how often we see women with real agency over the world around them, um, Mm -hmm. which is something that I don't think you see in Westerns like at all. Um, Right. Right. I, uh, I can't. Oh, go ahead. No, 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 please. Oh, I was just going to say the funny thing is, too, in reading like historic Western accounts, there are tales of like women who became, you know, sheriffs for their towns or whatnot. And obviously it's not that common, but they did exist. They were out there. We just don't hear about them all that much. Yeah, I think even in just a lot of Western fiction, I I can't say that I'm super well read in Westerns. Um, I kind of started down the road of of reading more westerns i think right before the pandemic um and i i did a little bit of a a dive through uh you know just some like zane gray and some uh louis lamore you know that sort of thing um and yet you know even the stuff that that people were telling me oh this is like a staple of western fiction you should read it like hondo um there's a there's a woman character in there but she's completely reliant on hondo to like solve all of her problems you know um so i think that you know taking the tropes of a western and you know trying to to put more women in that space is super welcome you know because i i think even today i can't i'm hard pressed to find some westerns where women play a really prominent role mm-hmm Right. Yeah, you're not going to you're not going to find a lot of that in Cormac McCarthy, you know. <laughs> right. And oftentimes there's a lot of kind of violence and brutal violence of the old west, right? And um concerning women characters and that was also something I wanted to stay away from. I just mm. as I said, you know, I didn't want it to be very heavy or serious. So I there's obviously some violence because they're fighting monsters and bad guys and whatnot, but um I, I didn't veer to the extreme kind of splatter, you know, splatter punk violence, right. which uh, that's definitely, I think, um, a trend happening right now. There's a lot of Western horrors. There's a lot of, you know, horrors that are in that space that are very extreme, very brutal and, um, you know, well-received and great pieces of work. Uh, it was just not something I wanted to, to do. I'm a little squeamish when it comes to extreme horror. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's a space for that right i like i i feel like there's a place for both um when i was reading melinda west i mean i really connected to it because of the pulp elements um and i i kind of want to again i kind of want to hear from you if if there were any particular um you know kind of pulpy influences Mm -hmm. on some of the ideas you had for the story yeah actually i never thought about that too much um I think part of it is that short story mentality because for Mm. the short stories each one's almost like a standalone tv episode right they go they encounter a problem they encounter a unique monster and then they have to come up with the solution and then that's it and that's the short story um so in a similar way you know the novel is like okay they're encountering these monsters Uh, obviously it's a little more epic but I think that's maybe where that pulpy feeling came from initially. Mm. I also always loved comic books, especially X-Men comics. So I think maybe part of that, you know, that episodic feeling where 
you have standalones, but there's kind of this overarching plot. Uh, maybe that was a bit of an influence also. Yeah, I, I like you, I read a lot of comic books. Um, it's probably one of my favorite forms of literature. Um, when I was, I don't know, 13, I think, um, I really kind of discovered Superman. Like that was my, he was my guy. That was my character. Um, and that opened a whole world to this whole style of literature. And from there, I was introduced to a lot of other characters and a lot of other writers um, that were, you know, influential on comic books. Like um, I, I've read so much Doc Savage and The Shadow, you know, Um as kind of the, the progenitors of comic book superheroes. Um, and that led me to reading all kinds of other, just like pulpy stuff, you know, Conan the Barbarian, um, exploring uh, horror through, you know, HP Lovecraft. I, I, I have some problems with Lovecraft as most okay. people do, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but there's, you know, just that, that kind of pulpy, call it episodic you know let's expand this universe through this kind of serialized fiction um right. that i find to be very fun so reading this book in a lot of ways for me was like revisiting what i fell in love with when i was 13 and 14 you know through these through these comics through these stories um it it had that kind of you know fantasy vibe of of just like everything's constantly moving you know always moving forward you can't have your hero uh just stop and and do nothing right they have to be active right and actually in an earlier version of the book which um my sister read she's like my first editor she she read it and she said this is exhausting they don't sleep at all they don't take a break <laughs> <laughs> they need to sleep like they can't just keep going um so i had to go back and put in moments of rest which is actually really important for storytelling as well right it's a chance mm. for more character development uh so that was really helpful feedback to actually like pause the action a little bit um yeah, yeah i i kind of love that um and you do have some very tender moments between your characters, uh, which I really appreciate. And again, you know, that's something that I, I don't think you'd get with, you know, like Doc Samson never has a moment where he, he sits down and reflects on his relationships, right? That's not mm -hmm. a thing he does. Right. And actually, that was something else that I wanted to do in the book that people advised me not to do, which is to showcase just a healthy, well-formed relationship between Melinda and Lance. Um, so initial feedback I received was, oh, make it, you know, more of a love triangle or don't have them be together yet. Let's see the tension. And I totally get that advice, but I really wanted just to show just a healthy relationship. They have, you know, of course they have some drama and conflicts like any mm -hmm. relationship, but they work through it. There's not a whole lot of drama. They're just each other's rock. And that was just something I wanted to do from the get-go, um, you know, for better or worse. Yeah, well, I totally get that. So let's talk about X-Men because um, I never get to talk about X-Men with anybody. Uh, what, what kind of drew you to the X-Men and, you know, what, what about the X-Men particularly kind of speaks to you as a reader? Yeah. Oh, I love talking about X-Men. So um, 
I know the exact moment when I got into it. I was, oh gosh, maybe 12 or 13. I don't remember the exact age, but I was flipping through Saturday morning cartoons and I stopped when I saw like two female superheroes and you mm. never see that, right? It was always one token female superhero in a group or kind of yeah. all the solo men. Um, and it was the first episode of X-Men Adventures and it was Storm and Rogue kind of flying through the mall. I don't know if, you, if you've seen oh, that yeah. episode. Yeah, it's when they're saving Jubilee from the Sentinels. Yeah, yeah. And I was just shocked to see more than one female superhero. And I was hooked from that moment. I went to the comic store and I became an avid collector. And, you know, you didn't... Actually, I can't even really think of a whole lot of other superhero stories where you almost have 50-50, you know, men and women mm. um, as part of the team. And that was something I really loved about X-Men. They were also very good about introducing diverse backgrounds and mm. they've always kind of been at the forefront, um, which I really, really appreciated. And then the writing was just amazing throughout the 90s and, and so on. You know, you had these very kind of personal, emotional stories kind of peppered in among the um, adventure and, you know, like Rogue and Gambit, they're such like such a powerful, like forbidden kind of love story that I yeah. just loved. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't I don't remember what my first X-Men comic was. It may have actually been like the the 90s reboot uh, series that they did with, yeah. you know, Jim Lee. Um and I, I remember kind of diving in and just being bewildered because I had no idea the team's history. Uh -huh. um, you know, it, like with with a lot of comic books, I feel like you don't you don't get into comic books at a clear starting point. You know, you just mm, kind of yeah. you throw yourself in and you just take it as it comes. Um, right. And so I, I remember that 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 particular team was a lot of fun. I. I absolutely loved Psylocke. Like she was my, she was my gal. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and ever since, you know, I, I feel like I'm always, I, I can't say I read the X-Men very religiously, but I'm always kind of like checking in with the X-Men every once in a while to be like, you know, what's, what's kind of new with them? What's going on? Yeah, I try to do that too, but it's honestly hard to keep up if you're not kind of going in every <laughs> month so, and getting all the... There. <laughs> It's, it's so dense it really really is there's um, a lot of stops and whatnot um you know when I was a teenager it was easy to keep up because I would get all of the comics but right. as an adult it's it's a little harder yeah um I just recently did uh I was an advanced reviewer for um I think it's a, a, a novel called The Sound of Light um it's it's an X-Men novel um oh, wow. featuring dazzler as the the main character and yeah. she has to go and and try to discover this um this conspiracy surrounding uh the the uh, mutant growth hormone uh -huh. um you yeah. know that 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 sort of stuff she's trying to track down like like who's producing it recently and so she ends up on this all-female-led team um it's it's dazzler and uh rachel summers um and uh who else is that but there's uh, like sage is on that team that was a new character to me oh. i was like i have no idea who she is <laughs> um and then uh uh 
I feel like there was, oh, it was uh, uh, Polaris was also on that team. Oh, the Polaris. That's yeah, awesome. I, I was like, this is kind of like a, a greatest hits of some of the, the best, you know, kind of X-Men characters. And it was a pretty good book. Um, but there was a lot of like, let's stop for a moment because we have to just info dump like all of the oh. <laughs> last 20 years of exposition, you know? Uh, uh-huh. That's yeah. fun though. That sounds fun. I, I love the, how many characters there are in the X-Men universe and mm. very like well-developed, interesting characters who all have some kind of like psychological wound or conflict, you know, obviously Wolverine's a great example, but they're all, you know, they all have something that makes them so human. Um, Morph is probably my favorite character. He's like oh. a little obscure, <laughs> but I just, uh, his story and his like sacrifice. I just, he really stuck with me. And then, um, yeah, I, they're all great. Storm, Jean Grey, Rogue. I mean, it's hard to pick a favorite. Yeah. I mean, there, there really are so many, uh, iconic characters mm-hmm. in the X-Men. Um, and they're, they're, they do have some very fun stories, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I definitely, just recently i loved the whole uh phoenix reborn kind of saga with with um you know cyclops uh going completely rogue and he's like maybe we should be more radical and i was like all right i'm i'm for this we can we can go this direction for sure yeah so you've written a lot of short fiction and and um you know one of the things that i really like about the short fiction from you that I've read is, you know, you don't sacrifice um, character and characterization, you know, even for short fiction. So I kind of want to hear from you a little bit about your thoughts on on the craft of short fiction and how you construct, you know, a very multi-layered story. Yeah, goodness, there's so many tips on, on short fiction, but I think in terms of um, characterization, um for me a lot of times the voice of that character is sort of what comes through first and that was definitely the case with you train which i published with mm-hmm. you guys um the voice of kind of the grumpy old new yorker who's really into <laughs> conspiracy theories like was the starting point for that uh and kind of dropping him into this weird situation um i find that voice is especially helpful for short fiction right to kind of drive the the interest um, but not, uh, you know, not all my fiction has that strong voice or characterization necessarily. And that's what I love about short fiction. You can do all kinds of things, right? You can have one story that's really strong on voice, one that is maybe more dreamlike and, you know, you're not really sure what's going on. Uh, one that is really just about a concept and you kind of add in the character. Uh, there's just the whole, you know, gauntlet of things you can do with a short story, um, but, you know, I, I am a believer that character drives story, which I think most of us are, right? You want yeah. to see the person in the situation, what is their problem and how did they either overcome it or fail to overcome it? That's just the basic, uh, you know, structure of a story. Um, and something I do tell people who are starting short stories for the first time is it's easy to miss that. A lot of people will write vignettes instead of actual stories, right? Um, when they're first starting in the craft. And I've done that as well. And a vignette is where nothing's really happening, right? You're more showing a moment in time, right? Um, maybe with beautiful language or an interesting character. And, and there's a place for those, but I think a really powerful short story has that narrative structure where your character 
has a problem, they're forced to deal with that problem. And then you see the resolution afterwards. Yeah, I really appreciate you train um, because I, I feel like there's there's so much going on that's packed into that story that I missed the first time reading it, you know? Um, and, and, you know, speaking from behind the scenes, when we were, we, we kind of did that big call for stories. We were like, you know, we really want, we want to buy a story. We want to produce it um, as, you know, kind of this audio experience, this, whether it be an audio book or something more with a, you know, a kind of broader cast. Um, when we put out that call, I mean, we had, you know, hundreds of different stories that, that we kind of went through. And some of our decision-making was based around what, what could we actually perform? You know, what do we have the resources to perform? Cause we only had, I mean, none of us are real voice actors. Uh, we just love telling stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were thinking, you know, we can't go too big with the cast, but we also want something that, you know, kind of speaks to us. And U Train was one of those stories that I was carried along by just by the, um, the situation itself, which I, mm-hmm. I think on my first read, I was like, this is a really interesting um, situation for these characters to find themselves in. And this imagination of like, you know, the travel to the, the underworld, you know, this, mm-hmm. this, this journey and the stops along the way that, you know, kind of represent um, this reflecting back on one's life you know I felt like that was a really interesting journey to take for a horror story but it was really subsequent rereads that made the story that much better and and made me appreciate all of the craft that you put into it because we we get more about those characters as they converse with one another Mm -hmm. you know we find out more of of their singular vices, or we find out more about, you know, kind of the emotional baggage that they're all carrying with them on this, this ride into the, the uh, underworld. And I felt like um, there are so few stories that I see that have this kind of multi-layered approach where we're really learning about the characters in significant ways you know, through the things that they talk about or through the things that they carry with them um, into the underworld. I don't, I don't know that there's a question in there so much as there's just, you know, kind of a deep admiration, but you you know, I'd love to, to hear from you some of the, the decisions that you were kind of making to, to enrich that character experience. Mm -hmm. I think that's definitely, you know, part of the art of short storytelling, right? You have a limited space, um, you know, limited word count. So you need to make sure whatever language you're picking, whatever gestures your characters are making as much as possible, they need to do double duty, right? So you need the reader to be able to infer things um, based on the language you picked. And sometimes it's not even conscious necessarily, right? The reader will be reading the story and, you know, there might be little clues in there and they don't notice it necessarily, but hopefully it all comes together at the end. That's the kind of goal, right? For a short Mm -hmm. story. Um, And I always think of, I mean, it's a little cliched, but Hemingway's six word story, right? 
baby shoes for sale, never worn. I think that's right. how it goes. And it's just such a powerful example of how you're using language to create a huge backstory and to help the reader infer the backstory. So even in a you know 6,000 word tale or 3,000 or whatnot, you need the words to do double duty in that same sense. Um, so I think in my edits of that piece, I was really trying to make sure that any kind of action or language was not extraneous. Um, I'm also, I'm an editor in my day job for nonfiction mm -hmm. and I have a journalistic background. So that really helped me kind of pare down language and be really ruthless in terms of cutting words out almost too much where for a while my <laughs> stories were too short and I needed to expand them. Um, but I think when writers go in to a story, especially a short story, being very mindful of whatever they can cut and just making sure, you know, everything's there for a reason, whether it's a character or a piece mm. of dialogue. So with that kind of concision, uh, just throwing this weird uh, philosophical question at you, I mean, do you feel like um, there's a, a danger there in, in perhaps letting your reader have too much agency over how they interpret your story? Or, or do you feel like, you know, that's kind of some of the symbiotic relationship between reader and author? Yeah, I think it's a balance for sure, right? You never want a reader to come away confused after reading your story. Um, there can be open questions or maybe a few interpretations but not confusion. So there's a really fine balance there. And I do think, you know, it's up to the writer and their style and how they want to do that, right? Do they want a definite ending? Um, do they want to leave it a little open-ended? I personally like to know what my ending is. I may or may not have it be clarified in the story, but, um, you know, in my head, I know this is what definitely happened, right? And then mm. it's part of the art form of deciding how much you hint at it. And I, I try to hint at it, right? I don't want people to think, mm -hmm. oh, it's, you know, one way when it's really supposed to be another way. Yeah. A lot of the feedback that I got from U-Train was um, people who were very excited about it, but also people who were very upset by it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which maybe I should, maybe I should share this with you, but, but, you know, I had a lot of, um, a lot of feedback from people who listened to it, they, they were like, why would you choose such a horribly bleak story? <laughs> and I was like, I mean, but like, the, isn't that kind of the fun? I mean, this, this guy, this, this narrator, you know, like he can't get past himself. Like that's the tragedy, right? The tragedy is that he's too stubborn. He's too set in this weird boomer energy that he, he just like, you know, he just can't let go. Right. And and I think that's kind of like that's kind of the point. Like if there's if there's a lesson to be learned from U Train, it's it's like you know, you, you can't you, you you can't take that resentment with you. Like it's just not it's not healthy. It's not good. Right. And you see other characters maybe having slightly more positive outcomes. So mm -hmm. um, even though it's bleak for the main character and overall, you know, kind of um, up upsetting maybe. Uh, there's little tiny glimmers of hope, I think, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely felt like, I mean, that was kind of the, the, the whole point. It's like, like, just let go, you know, like, yes, you have to face these primordial fears. Um, but, but that's to cleanse you, 
you know, like, like you have to go through this process in order to, to move on. And that's what this whole, this whole story is, you know, these are four people with pretty big problems, stuff that they're not proud of, mm-hmm. who have to learn to let go of that, you know, c- to kind of absolve themselves of the wrongs mm-hmm. that they've, exactly. they've committed. And, and, you know, like there's power in that, right? There's power in, in learning to absolve yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Self-awareness, but also self-forgiveness, not like excusing what you've done, but really embracing it. And as you say, letting it go to move on. Yeah. There's, there's like, you have to take ownership of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's a big, I think that's a big step toward, you know, finding absolution right is first owning the things that you did that are wrong um and uh and and just you know like having to to grapple with who you are after that moment um and so primordial fears you know kind of fitting into that that stage i think of just human awareness you know of, of like yes of course this is the primordial you know these are the 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 kind of creature fears that we have um and yet a lot of that is inconsequential i feel to the emotional revelations that these characters have to make it's like why is facing rats so much harder than facing the fact that you haven't talked to your daughter in you know (laughs) you know how many years Uh, yeah that's exactly it and um I just have to say you guys did such an amazing job with the audio production. It's like definitely one of the highlights of my career to date, like just hearing <laughs> the characters come alive and the the sound effects. It was just so powerful and like very special as a writer. So well, thank you. Thank, I mean, thank you for that praise for what it's worth. It is our highest uh, rated episode, you know, the, the one that awesome. we had the most listens to um and we were we were ecstatic for for your story and for for uh tm morgan's story both you know when we read them we thought um man these are just uh, incredible stories and and we want to share them with people you know we were so proud not just to produce that um but we were also very proud to include that in our our anthology from last year um because it's it's a it really is a phenomenal piece you know, um, I don't think we've had the opportunity to, you know, just like be face to face to tell you that. But, um, you know, I'm I'm very proud of that story for you, uh, because I, I think that um, it gave us a lot to to kind of chew on, to play with. I know I had a blast reading it um, and and just kind of living in that character's headspace for for uh, the, the couple of days that we spent you know, recording it. And then the months we spent you know like kind of kind of editing it so the voice actors did so so amazing uh bringing those characters to life it was just a dream to hear it you know so thank you well i will absolutely uh pass those around and i will i will wear that um with with great pride i i had such a, a fun time with it so so what is um, new on the horizon for you? You know, what are some of the projects that you're working on that uh, we can all kind of get really excited about? <laughs> um, foremost on the list is the next Melinda West book. Uh, so I'm trying to really kind of dive into it while it's all still in my head. Uh, I'm about halfway through the second book and I don't, 
people have asked if it's a trilogy or whatnot, and I yeah. don't think of it as a trilogy. Um, I really want each book to be standalone. Uh, mm. You know, there's maybe little threads kind of left to explore later, but there's no big cliffhangers. Um, so, and, you know, I have ideas for subsequent books as well. So I can imagine it being kind of a multi-book series. Sure. Um, but right now I'm in the middle of the second one. So there's, you know, more epic stakes, scarier monsters. There's um, mm. the beginning thread is around kind of a monster infection uh, inspired Ooh. by our times <laughs> and kind of paranoia <laughs> around that and how people respond, right? Because the human response can be as dangerous or tricky to manage as the actual monsters and uh, infection. Um, so kind of, yeah, that's where it starts. And I'm a little worried for the characters. They have a lot to deal with and go through, but hopefully they'll be okay. Um, we'll <laughs> Um, and then aside from that, I have short stories, a few slighted to come out uh, this year. One is um, actually a short story featuring Candelaria, who was the um, business owner in Melinda West Monk. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So it's her kind of um, her as a teenager, kind of her origin story a little bit. Uh, that one was really fun. I have a Tales to Terrify story coming out and a mm. few others in the works. I'm kind of slowing down on writing short stories at the moment mm. to fo focus on the novel. Um, but I just wrote one yesterday. <laughs> I had this really weird dream um, about Cthulhu and a church. And I have a newborn right now and he um, kind of woke <laughs> me up in the middle of the night. So the dream was like super vivid. I wrote it all down and it's, it's a very weird little story. I have to kind of sit on it, but um, mm -hmm. we'll see, maybe something will come of it. That's interesting. I mean, I I know you also just released a short story. Um, it, didn't it, it remind yeah. me of where it just came out? Yeah, it's uh, just another apocalypse and it came out in, uh, gosh, the Rooster Republic Press. They're doing an online horror anthology that's free to read. And I think they're doing like 40 some stories, uh, a few every month. And it's really fun because it's super short. So you can read it, you know, on a lunch break or a coffee yeah. break. Um, and this one was a zombie story I wrote and kind of more about um, generational trauma, uh, but mm. in a maybe lighthearted way. Um, so it was, it was a fun one to write and people seem to like it. So um yeah. do you feel like there are certain certain like subgenres of horror or like certain monsters that you're really just drawn to more than others I think I've written about most of the monster tropes um I like creating my own as much as possible mm. you know for for obviously Melinda West and then yeah. I what I call my monster almanac which is I drop all my monsters into it so I can keep track uh <laughs> of this word document and there's just so many um but in terms of like the classic tropes like zombies and uh you know werewolves and all that I think I've experimented with most of those at one point or another um, I don't write a ton because I really want to have something original when I write about a, a trope you know it's a lot yeah. of um I guess pressure right to come up with something totally new but I would say my favorite is probably aliens. I've always been interested in aliens and writing about them. So 
solid choice, solid choice for sure. I was really struck in, in Melinda West, you know, coming back to that book, um, because it, I, it's just the giving tree of like pulpy Westerns for me. Like I just, uh, I, I, I devoured that book. I'm a very slow reader and, um, I, I just, I think I was done with it in like two days. And, <laughs> and after I was done, I was just like, man, I hope there's more. <laughs> You know, it was interesting for that for that one because there are a lot of pieces that I hope to explore in future books and stories, right? You get hints of these other like lands and other groups of people. And um, in some ways it almost felt like this is my blueprint and, you know, I have a lot yeah. to, a lot to write from here. Yeah. For me, it was, it was inspiring because I was like, I, I could set an entire D and D campaign just in this universe you've created um and i was i was also you know i went in expecting like just common monsters you know like i I don't even have a great example um but i was like oh you know maybe she hunts werewolves and yetis and it's like nope ice krakens and (laughs) flying scorpions and i was like wow (laughs) i just i was not expecting any of that and uh and it was so it was so exciting, you know, anytime she ran into a new, a new little creature, you know, these, these wispy spiders that eat your soul. I was like, this is, this is really, really creative. I like it. Thanks. I was probably a little heavy on the like insect monsters for, for that one, just because that's <laughs> always been my fear. So I'm like exploring more mammal based ones now and like others and I mean, nature is just so interesting, right? You have animals in real life that do crazy things. So there's so much fodder there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to more creatures and more Melinda West. I, um, when you said you're working on a sequel, I was, I applauded. I was like, yes, good. (laughs) Super happy to hear that. do you, do you feel like there's maybe an anthology of some of these shorter pieces um, in, in your future? Yeah, definitely. I have, um, gosh, I don't even know how many short stories in that world. Several have been published, um, several I've like written and have. So I do think it'd be fun to collect them at some point into a collection. And then, you know, people who enjoy the, the book can go to the collection and read more about these characters. Um, it is something I'd love to do and maybe to the monster almanac that would be fun to get illustrated and published someday um, yeah my my future D campaign absolutely needs that almanac for for reference well um where can people find you online yeah my website is um caseygriffin.com and I have a monthly newsletter and pretty frequent updates on there and then I'm on pretty much all of the main social media platforms at Casey Griffin, um, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Um, so yeah, anybody can connect with me there and say hi. Awesome. And uh, yeah, definitely watch out for some of your future fiction. You'll have to let us know where that's going to be published. Um, I do know I can say people who sign up for your newsletter get a free short story mm-hmm. um so I, I definitely want to plug that like don't sleep on you know the, the any anytime we get free fiction right that's kind of a, a great deal so 
Awesome. Well, Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been really awesome talking with you. Yeah, thank you. It's been really fun. I'm so glad we got to talk about X-Men also. That's a a rare time. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime you want to come on and just talk about X-Men, I'm ready. Awesome. Well, thank you. I appreciate it.